Welcome back to What We Don't Know. I'm here with my guy, Phineas. What's going on, Phineas? Not much, Xander. How are you? I'm good. I came in with, in that intro hot. Yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> so this week, we have a lot of Redstone, who is a professor of sociology at University of Illinois. Uh, how did you connect with her and describe her work a little bit? Yeah, so we met, we're, we're in this group called the Leaderboard, which is folks uh, you know, trying to make a positive difference in the world that uh, my friend Zach Conway put together. And uh, I learned about her course she teaches, Snowflakes and Bigots, which I found a, a hilarious title, and then watched some of her YouTube series. on. Uh, and she turned some of the lessons from the course into a really good, well-done YouTube series. You should check it out. And I just find the... I found it so timely. I find a lot of what I spend my time thinking about is the 74 million people that voted for Trump uh, this last election cycle, despite him doing many things that would have had many folks abandon him if he were another person or another politician. And the reality that we can win some elections, we can get some things done without those folks. But if we want to do the very hard things, meaning climate change, meaning automation and, and employment disenfranchisement, we're going to need to understand how to talk to these folks eventually. We can do what we did last election for so long, which is go to the most extreme members of your base and maybe the people who sit home because you're not talking to them you know, and talk to them directly and get them to turn out. And, and it worked, right? We got all sorts of people, especially low propensity voters, turn out in crazy numbers. Um, but it's not going to build a healthy country, as we can see. You know, we, we keep having more and more moments where people feel disgusted with with the GameStop things like the most recent version of it right yeah it's political political polarization was the original topic of the episode and then as we got into it it became clear that really her focus is just on facilitating effective communication she sees political polarization as a symptom of the problem of not being able to effectively communicate with one another right and so it's just all about the ways in which we facilitate conversation and the way we communicate with one another. And she believes that if we're able to build that bridge or we're able to solve that problem, then the rest will follow. Right. Yeah, and it's maddening because most of the issues that are happening right now affect the majority of Americans because they're lower income at this point. I think it's like 60% of our country doesn't have $500 in savings. And there should be a, an incredible amount of allyship between those populations, and they they are the most distant at times. And, and I think that's really when things change, and that's when things have you know historically changed. The French Revolution was you know the farmers realizing they were ninety percent of the population in France and getting together, and and demanding change. Right, and you made a great point during the episode that I, I thought summed up the conversation in a really interesting way, which was facts won't save us. Mm. And we're in an age where facts are not at the center of the conversation and it's opinion and it is culture and it's momentum and it's groupthink online and it's all of these things totally. that are playing into it. And facts are not actually the thing we're going to fall back on. Even within those, people are able to weave real facts into disingenuous arguments, right? There's, there's this saying in statistics, there's lies, damn lies, and then statistics. Like you can find a fact and someone feels informed then and then runs forward with a with a very flawed argument uh that maybe isn't taking enough into account yeah and it was fascinating to hear an academic perspective on this issue and that's what this episode is that's it all right well let's let folks uh hear from the source directly let's get into it
Alana Redstone, welcome to What We Don't Know. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Today we're talking about political polarization. Mm -hmm. Before we dive into what exactly is happening in our country, uh, which has been mm -hmm. really troubling, can you just uh, define what that means when people talk about political polarization? I could define how what I think it means and how I use the term. I So part of the, I would say that I don't think we have very good language to talk about these problems. Um, and part of that is what you're saying is the term political polarization. And I would throw viewpoint diversity and sort of ideological differences. I mean, I, none of these are really great, but political polarization and I'll, t I'll tell you what it's not before I tell you what I think it is. So one of the reasons I think it's a problematic term is because people get um, sometimes a little bit hung up on the word political. So for instance, they'll think that they'll walk away thinking that what, what the focus really is, is it's a fight at the water cooler about who you voted for in the last election. And we're just coming out of obviously a very contentious election. And that's part of it. But when I, the sort of the work that I do is really much it's a much broader way of thinking about political, sort of socio-political or um, really political in the sense of all those controversial sort of radioactive third rail topics that touch identity, that touch race, that touch gender, um, all and, and all those topics that are related, which which are not, some of them may, re, may tie to actual ballot questions or things that come up at the ballot, but but it's really a lot broader than that. And so my concern has been sort of how we, communicate with each other about social problems, about inequality, about all of these things that are concerning. When we use politics as the framework, there's already this implicit tribalism. And so things that should be discussed reasonably end up being more polarized because you figure out where people sit that have your political identity and then you defend from that point. I think there's part of it that's related to what you're saying, but I would say that the other piece of it is that when you label it as a political problem, it specifies a certain set of prescriptive remedies that aren't going to necessarily get at the core of the issues. I think about it as really a breakdown in communication. How would you describe the state of this polarization today? So I think that the short way of thinking about it is that there are differences in how we think about some pretty core concepts that have gotten pushed to the side. Yeah. So things like, for example, identity and how we think about identity. I think that, um, and I'll actually I'll offer two sort of related issues. So one is these differences in, in differences in how we think about identity, differences in how we think about fairness, um, differences in how we think about the importance of intent where you right? So now there's a subset of people, not now, I mean, I think it's been there for a long time, but there is a subset of people who say that, you know, when interactions between different, particularly different groups, different racial and ethnic groups, different, but they're different identity groups of, of all kinds. When those interactions go sideways, that intent, right? There's one line of thinking that says, well, intent doesn't matter. It's all about the outcomes. And so that is a particular way of understanding how people interact. There's nothing universal about it. And you could have a, a good faith argument, I think, about how more or less helpful that is. Especially in a country like ours, uh, where there's, there's so many cultures colliding within shared geography. Right. The other thing I would say is that 
you know, in addition to this, this sort of unrecognized variation in how we think about these topics that I just listed, there's also a piece of it. You asked the question of how did we get to this particular moment? Mm -hmm. And so the other piece of it is about how we think about different topics. And this, I think, really speaks to issues in higher education. And this is something that I think has profound implications. So when we, the way we teach and talk to students, and I'm not talking about sort of left-wing indoctrination, like this is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how we get students to think about different problems, how we talk about inequality in the classroom, how we talk about race and racism, what kinds of viewpoints we put forward and validate and put, lay a moral layer onto. All of that, I think we have been failing at um, in higher education and that has not, I don't want to overstate the case. I mean, there's a large fraction of people in this country who don't go on to four-year colleges. And so I don't want right. to say it affects everybody, but it, it has a significant impact. And so that's something that I know I've spent a lot of time trying to really think about ways to kind of push back against. Yeah. I'd love to hear an example of how, how, how you see that playing out now and, and how you think it's um, harmful. Here's a concrete example. So, you know, one of the things that people, you know, because of Trump's executive order and whatever else about diversity programming. So here's a concrete example critical race theory. So let me just preface this by saying I this is I'm not a scholar in this area, but it's a way of understanding race and racism is sort of you can't have race without you can't have race without racism and that it, it's a way of understanding sort of that we need to lean into a racialized understanding of the world. We need to lean into racialized responses to social problems that the idea in its practice that you would de-emphasize race is itself racist. So for example, mm -hmm. you yeah. instead of like there's there is a line of thinking that would suggest, well, instead of affirmative action based on race, we should have affirmative action based on social class. And so this is the idea that, you know, no, that's actually that is in itself racist. Mm -hmm. So the example that I would come back to in the classroom would be something as concrete as one of the one of the sort of tenets of critical race theory is this idea of colorblind racism. Um, and so the colorblind racism is this idea that people who want to de-emphasize race, people, you know, sort of extolling the virtues of the meritocracy, extolling the virtues or the perceived virtues of a colorblind society, this sort of, I don't see race kind of thing. I just see people, I just see individuals, I don't see racial groups, that this is itself racist. Right. Um, so right, right. the idea. And so if I ask, I'm coming back to your question, just getting there in a little bit of a roundabout way. This is, this um, is wonderful. This is why you're here, <laughs> breaking all this stuff down. So the one of the things that happens if, and I've done this with students, is if you ask students and you say, or in my experience, if I ask students and I say, well, let's talk, and we've done some reading on critical race theory and, and some critiques of it and whatever, um, largely through black conservatives. But um, if I ask them and I say, you know, how is this helpful? Like, so take colorblind racism as, as an example. How is this helpful? How is this a useful way of understanding the world? And they're pretty good. They're pretty good at enumerating the advantages. So things like, you know, it helps us understand our unearned advantage, right? So everybody has, you know, whatever, wherever it comes from. So your unearned advantage in society, or it helps us understand, it helps us think about how race impacts everyday life for lots of people, which frankly seem like perfectly valid, reasonable points to make as far as I'm concerned. Totally. So if I start there, but then if I turn the question around and I say, well, can you tell me why, why might someone have concerns about this, you know, colorblind racism, just to stay with that example, why would someone have concerns about it or object to it or advocate, you know, for a colorblind or whatever they, for the most part have nothing. 
Like they're mm -hmm. just, there's an asymmetry there that is, and then we off we send them into the world. And so we've given students no tools, no framework, and no language to understand how somebody might think differently, how somebody from a reasonable person might think differently about these issues. Right. So to back up a step, so there's these three factors uh, that you define. There's there's identity. There is what, what were the three? Run it back to me. There's identity. I mean, you can pick more, but those are the those are the three that I started with. Which sort of identity, fairness, and intent. Fairness and intent. And so, so let, let's play with those factors and play this out with some of your hypothesis around higher education. We're at a point where if you look at like Trump versus Biden voters, a lot of that is around higher education or no higher education. I mean, maybe the lack of higher education isn't what created the ideology. Maybe it's from groups that some, you know, because of who they are, they go to college and because of who the other ones are, aren't they, they come to college. But let's, let's say that going to college has produced some of the polarity that we're dealing with right now. If the college experience was different and, and some of the ways you desire for it to be different, how would the Biden voters, for lack of a better term, right, this subset sure. that goes to college and is voting for progressive causes, be engaging with the Trump MAGA contingency differently that would allow for things like January 6th to maybe not happen? So I guess let me specify, like there are like the sort of, you know, the people who are waiting for Q's next breadcrumb or, you know, you know, the, the sort of people who really wish that they could have been there on January 6th. I'm not sure that they're going to ever listen to anything that I have to say. Like they're not my audience. Right. Um, you know, like I just there. So nothing that I'm suggesting applies to sort of any kind of experience. You're not saying you're going to change their behavior. You're saying the folks coming through your classroom and classrooms like that could be instructed differently. That would maybe allow us as a society to engage with that population differently or do things differently that that would that would be more helpful. I think we could do better. Like, I, you know, I think we could do a lot better. I think that we could start a conversation about viewpoint diversity. And so how do we and sort of thinking about the implications of what we're doing and how to and and what it means and what whether we keep going on this path. And I don't my position has never been that we should, you know, you know going back to the critical race theory example, for, for instance, that we should not be teaching it. Right. Like that would not be I don't think that's helpful. I don't think that's right. I think that there are. I think absolutely like t it should be part of what we're teaching and what we talk about in the classroom and what it just my it shouldn't be the only thing it shouldn't be the only perspective and it also shouldn't be treated as though it's not something that can and should be criticized like it's right. just a theory it's just a way of understanding the world that has its it's only as useful as it is helpful to understand our world around us. And you could have an, a, you could reasonably disagree about how useful that is. And you could sort of pull it down off the shelf and look at, you know, look warts and all and, and have that conversation. And we don't do that in higher education. You know, I guess, again, what I come back to Xander is that I don't necessarily have the answers to all these questions. My main concern is that we don't seem to be able to talk about them, mm. right? Like it's this, it's this, you know, whether it's affirmative action, whether it's um, policing, whether it's, you know, wh whatever it is, pick, you know, whether it's poverty, whether it's education, that that we have 
the conversation has just completely broken down on issues that we really need to be able to have a just have a discussion about. Right. That's sort of where my concern sits. I wrote like a year ago. I saw this um, video uh, by this rapper named Joyner Lucas called "I'm Not Racist." I don't know if you've ever seen it. Anyway, I, I remember watching that video, and then I, I wrote like, um, "Facts won't save us," because there were mm. there were things that are said, and when said in a vacuum and not taking into consideration, you can say like that that is object. You know, that's true. To your point about right. um, affirmative action, it's like both those statements could be true if viewed in a vacuum and not taking you know, not taking other things to, into account, et cetera. And so, like discussion is necessary because these things are at least a little bit nuanced, even, even bold claims. Yeah. You know? Just to come back. I loved what you said about facts won't save us. I just wrote something about this actually about, about science and facts and empirical evidence. And for exactly the reasons that you just said that I don't think that on these issues that, that really sort of strike kind of moral questions. Right. Science is great. Like science is going to get us out of our COVID nightmare. And it has a role to play. Um, yeah. Yes. Like it has a huge role to play, you know, and I'm, and viewpoint diversity is not about, you know, that we should all be, you know, willing to consider whether the earth is flat or what, what you know, it's right. just, because, but there's a, there's a category of issues that touch, that touch these moral morals, identities, sort of ideas of how we trade, you know, how we think about safety, all this stuff like that is just, right. You can claim an empirical argument on both to support whatever argument you want, just to right. support whatever position you want. It's just not, it's not helpful. So it, it, that's why like, you know, recently I've been leaning. So when I, when I have discussions about what education should be in the 21st century, when memorization isn't as important, you know, uh, you can get, you can get to stuff pretty quickly, how recentering us around ethics and morality uh, uh, and things that we can come back to and can be our guideposts in all these discussions. If your facts are in violation of that, then you got to start, you got to start over and, and work backwards from there again. It's especially important in this age when we're very good at persuasive storytelling uh, and using data to tell almost any story as we've seen as conspiracy theories have gone mainstream. Right. Well, in this whole, I mean, gosh, I mean, I'm this whole question of, you know, what does it mean for a thing to be true? What is it, what do you need for a claim to even, I mean, they very quickly slide right into these philosophical questions about philosophical and epistemological questions about what, how do we know what we think we know and what does it mean for something to be true? And what do you do? How do you evaluate truth? If somebody's lived experience comes into conflict or contradicts the, you know, the data or the, you know, the sort of statistics on like all of this, all of these questions, we, this is all part of it. It's all part of it. What is something that most people don't understand about your space and, and, and what we're talking about today that you wish they did? Um, that they don't understand that, you know, I guess I would say this is about solving problems. This is about how we talk about problems that we should all, that we all care about. Again, poverty, inequality, discrimination, right. um, you know, disparities, unequal outcomes and all kinds of things. Um, how we talk, how we have those conversations and which positions we demonize and who is allowed to weigh in on which kind of issues, right? Like, does your skin color determine which issues you can weigh in, you can have an opinion on? And sort of how we have those conversations. I think that's my focus. I'm much more interested in that and that we figure out how to have the conversation than I am concerned about what particular position, for example, somebody I'm working with or, you know, whether they're pro this or anti that or whatever. What I really care about is, can you have a conversation with somebody about it? You're saying the me the mechanism is kind of is broken with us right, right now. It's totally and so broken. so while you understand the need to have an opinion on these things, sure. we're, we're going to have a hard time 
building consensus around it because we don't have the tool set right now or a lot I don't of even think, I'm not even sure consensus is the goal. I mean, maybe consensus right. is the goal, but we can't even, we can't even come to the table. Like we can't even, we're not even right. talking about the same thing. If you talk, I mean, just take, take, I know I just wrote something on this, but take, you know, racism, right? Like this is obviously a topic that's enormously on people's minds and, and rightly so. Um, we, do we have a shared understanding of what that means? There's no way. Right. Can we, can we define it? Can we talk about what success looks like? You know, can we, we do this internally, uh, you know, at our team right now, we're starting an organization called one for democracy, uh, where, where wealthy people give 1% of their net worth to uh, fixing our democracy. We're talking about that today, like the need to define that when, when, what is a win? What, what can be universally looked at as a win, right? Like voter turnout is a really good example of like, if that's higher, that's good. At what level should we be? Where's the benchmarks? At what level, et cetera? There's so much in what you're saying, Xander. Uh, yeah, that's all those definitions and the goals and the metrics and how you think about it. And we're, we can't even we can't even get there. So yeah, um, we do. I've yeah. been talking to um, Andrew Yang, who's now running for mayor in New York, about the, the need for a dashboard for society that we can just look at. It's like we all agree. To your point, there are actually a lot of like core things we agree on. We're like we don't like poverty, we don't like suffering, we don't like discrimination. Right. Like, we like less no, of it. No, right. no, you know, not no one, but a vast majority of us would say yes. Like we we would want a society that's more fair. That's and then to be able to measure that. And then like when you have things like, I don't know, a primary, you can talk about it. You're like, this is, you know, these are the contributing factors to this number. Right. And and this is where I think we can improve. Um, right. But at least we're looking at the same, you know, dashboard and KPIs for society, key performance right. indicators. All right, let's, uh, let, let's do the rapid fire and then I'm gonna give you the floor, okay? So these, it doesn't need to be a word. It can be like a sentence or whatnot, but um, we're gonna run through these. What's the most impactful book you've read lately? Um, can I say my own book? <laughs> Absolutely. You can make a plug. Okay. So I'll answer the plug is for, uh, the book that I co-authored with John Villasenor. This is unassailable ideas, how unwritten rules in social media shape discourse in American higher education. And then I will say that the other book that I'm reading that I just really got into is, um, once upon a river. So I'm just, I'm almost at the end of that book. So that's um, a book my sister recommended, which I really like. This is kind of a meta question for you. What's an issue that you've changed your perspective on recently? I think that some of this, what happened on January 6th, I think has made me rethink, or at least uh, the numbers of people. So you have these people who wore the, you know, Camp Auschwitz shirt or the, you know, 6 million was not enough or or whatever, whatever yeah. it was, or, you know, this, this business that was going on there. I'm in this well-known videos and, and photographs now, you know, I think I'm unsure. Like, did I think that that was some, you know, I don't know, 0.01% of the population. And now maybe I actually think it's 0.5 or, I mean, I don't know. There's some, I'm questioning whether I dismissed, you know, the, Q, the QAnon stuff. Like, was I too dismissive of it? Was I, so I think that that's something I've been, re oh, and I'm sure I'm not alone in that, but I've been rethinking totally. a fair bit. Yeah. What habit most helps you do what you do? continually talking to different people, constantly trying to challenge myself, challenge what I'm thinking about, challenge, you know, my own perspectives on things and learning and really, and recognizing you hear podcast is what we don't, what we don't know. Is that what it's called? What we don't know. What we don't know. And realizing how much I don't know. I don't have the answers, but I think we can do a better job at having the conversation. All right. Last bit here. The floor is yours. Share whatever you'd like to share. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I'm grateful for the chance to be on the show and to talk and um, you can, you know, for people who are interested in these topics, everything that I've referenced and that I talk about is on my website, which is 
um, diverseperspectivesconsulting.com. And so there are links to the video series, there's links to the book, the, uh, which is the Amazon link to the book, and all of the public facing writing that I've done. Um, it's all, and including ways to reach me. Um, so that's all there. So I would love to for people to reach out and engage. All right, Alana Redstone, thank you so much for joining What We Don't Know. Yeah, thank you. All right, have a good one. Thank you for listening to What We Don't Know. If you're looking for more content like this, you can head over and be a supporter on our Patreon, patreon.com slash WWDK. You can also follow us on social. We're WWDKpod on Twitter and Instagram. I hope this finds you happy, healthy, and safe. All right, take care.